Um, sing his praises like we just did. That was an awesome time. Um, got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, this Wednesday night, we'll have Bible study at 7. It'll be the, the last one for the semester. We're going to take a break for the three months until school starts again. Uh, and then we're going to grab right back into it. But we're going to finish up Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to talk about why man and woman was run out of the garden and forced to leave and why it, the way to the tree of life was blocked. So if that piques your interest, come on out and uh, we're going to study that. And then afterwards, we're going to have um, fellowship in the back with a little bit of snacks and, and drinks and stuff. So I'd like to see you there. Um, today, after services, right, Glenda? Yeah, May 19th, VBS meeting. And volunteers are needed. She needs some volunteers and some help for our, our VBS this summer. Uh, it'll be in July. And then uh, we've got a lot of folks that needs our prayers. Please pray over the names on the list. These people really do appreciate your prayers. And they really do work and help. Uh, we have been seeing a lot of great things from the Lord through the power of prayer. So please... Um, Make yourself a part of that. One of those is sitting right back there, Ron. Um, he, didn't, he didn't want just everybody to know, but he had surgery Tuesday. And just now showed up. Test. Test. There. <laughs> But, but Ron had surgery on Tuesday, had his gallbladder removed. <laughs> He's showing me his, his honor scars. I told him, I said, man, you're t one tough warrior there, buddy. You're one tough warrior. Praise God. He said, there's no place I'd rather be than right here today. And surgery Tuesday... Removed a body part, <laughs> and he's here today. So, amen. Praise God. And uh, we're going to keep you in our prayers this week for healing, okay, buddy? And uh, we, we've got a lot of that going on. And today, one of the other special things that we have, oh, there's food in the back from the pantry. I want to thank all of the pantry volunteers and workers and everybody that comes and helps with that because your help makes it possible. And we had a good time, didn't we? And a lot of... A lot of folks got helped this time, and so we appreciate all of that and all, all of your hard work and prayers on that. And the Lord provided again, and we got some extras in the back that if, if you want to grab some, go ahead. And right now, I want to go to a, a congratulations to our graduates. And I'd like to call the four graduates up here, if they would, uh, for just a moment. Uh, Jaylee Morris. From Eminence, she's graduating from Eminence. Savannah Silcox from Whiteland. Cody Brandenburg from Martinsville High School. And Joe Moriarty, he's graduating from college. Which college was it? IU. IU. Go IU. <laughs> right. Now... I got a little something to present you guys with. On behalf of the eldership and the church at New Life, here it goes, it's getting hot up here again. Um, 
already. On, on behalf of all of us, I always say there is nothing more important in this world for your life than the Word of God. And to start you off right as you graduate and you go into your life and you're going to be... Our, our, my talk is around you guys today, but it's going to be for everybody. I'm going to try to help reveal the secret to happiness. Everybody wants happiness, don't we, in life. And that's why we go to school and that's why we go and try to find a job and try to find happiness in this life and to provide for our family and ourselves. But you know what? We're going to try to talk about the, the thing that is true happiness. And true happiness is going to be found right here. And these are cultural study Bibles. What it does is behind, these, it's a study Bible that behind every page... It gives you what was happening in their culture. And it has pictures and different things that goes along with each page. You're welcome. And it will help you to understand some of those things that we don't know about today. And you read it and you're like, well, I don't know anything about that. But this will help you to learn and to understand and go, oh, now I see why they were doing this and that. But I promise you that if you will treasure the word of God... And that you will take it in your life. And you will apply what's in those pages to it. You will find happiness and not sorrow. Okay. And right now I want to pray for them before they sit down. And Father. Into this world. We're welcoming some new adults. People who are going into a transition period. Father from from high school and from college into life. And it's been so long ago, I can hardly remember. (laughs) Uh, Forty years ago, to be exact, this year. But I know and I wish that someone would have handed me your word and told me how important it would be for my life. So, Father, we're trying early with these youngsters as they are turned loose into your world. That you'll protect them, that you will guide them in this word. That you will help them to cherish it in their hearts. And that may your word be sweeter than honey to them, Father. We pray for your protection over them. Your guidance to their steps. May you be with them the rest of their life and their families as they go through it. And we pray this as the body of Christ and as their family in Christ. Our best wishes in Jesus' name. Amen. Congratulations, you guys. So proud of you guys. So proud. Good job. Here we go. Uh, Let's get right into it. How about it? Uh, As we celebrated this newness of of a new direction in life for these young men and women. um, 
It's my desire to share with them, like I said, a message, not only geared towards them, but all of us. Everyone from uh, one to a thousand and one, this message will apply. And I had to go to a thousand and one because I wanted to include Methuselah in it, so that we're not leaving anybody out. But everybody wants to find happiness in life, don't we? I mean, nobody wants sorrow, agony, misery. Nobody wants those things for their life. We all are in a search for happiness. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how to find that in your life today. No matter where you are, from this point forward, your life can begin to change if, if you so desire that it will be. So, and I'm going to call this the Solomon experiment. Because Solomon is the perfect candidate to tell us about what happiness is. We're going to meet him and examine a small portion of his life. And we're going to see what God has in store for us because he should be a good witness to us and to validate him as a witness to the search for happiness in this life. I'm going to use someone whose word, if you believe in Jesus and you believe in the word of God, then you will take Jesus at his word. And two different ways, he commends Solomon to you and I like this. In Luke chapter 11, as he is talking to the crowds that it says were thickly gathering together in front of him, and he was trying to... Yeah, I'm going to have to talk loud today. I can tell. Yes, he is. Luke chapter 11, <laughs> verse 31, <laughs> he says something like this. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But indeed, a greater than Solomon is here before you today. So what Jesus is talking about and the queen, and it's actually the queen of Sheba. Um, she came from, they believe, the area of Yemen today. And she came from the ends of that side all the way here. And she came with a train. I mean, you couldn't count the camels that was in her procession, it tells us in First Kings. And all of the different things that she brought to honor him. If indeed he did have the wisdom and the knowledge that... She had heard about all the way to her end of the earth. And there goes our church of the future and our graduates of the future. And, uh, and what Jesus said then in Luke chapter 11 was this. This lady came from the ends of the earth to hear his wisdom. He was the wisest man who ever lived. Okay? So if you want to learn something about happiness, you probably want to go to the wisest person that ever lived, right? Until Jesus came along, and that is Solomon. Next, in Luke chapter 12, the next chapter in another meeting, he said this. And I know it's small. Some of these sections are small today, so I hope you brought your Bibles and just want to follow along. 
But in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34, it says this, and I'm going to paraphrase it as we go. He says, don't worry about your life, about this physical life. Don't worry about your physical life. Your search for happiness is going to include such things as what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. All of these things you're going to search for and work for and toil for in this life. But he says, you know what? Money and those things is not what life is all about. Life is more than food. Life is more than raiment. Life is more than just a roof over your head. He says, by the way, look at my lower creation. Let's take the ravens for one example. You, every one of us that are living and breathing, has the breath of life, and we were created in the image and likeness of God. Ravens aren't. They're nowhere near as important to you, but have you noticed how that the Lord feeds them every day? They live one day at a time. They don't have barns to store up food. They don't have refrigerators and freezers stocked up. Day by day, the Lord provides for them. Are you not worth so much more than what they are? He says, and what robs your soul? What robs you of your joy and your happiness is worry and anxiety over the things that you think that you want and need. And the Lord knows so much more of what you need and have and He realizes what you want. And He's going to give those things to you If you follow him, he says, look at the lilies of the field, how they toil not, neither did they sow their seeds or sow clothes on. But when you look out there among it, and here's where he brings Solomon in. Solomon, in all of his glory and riches as king, was not arrayed like they are in the field. And you know, this week I was driving up the highway and there was an unplowed field over there. And it was full of these yellow things. I imagine farmers call them weeds. (laughs) I don't know what kind of weeds they are, but they're beautiful. If you've drove down the highway and seen the golden field, and I quoted this verse to myself, Solomon in all of his glory isn't as beautiful as that field is right there. And it doesn't worry about it. It doesn't toil. The Lord provided it. And he says, how much more are you to me than that field, which today is there and beautiful, but tomorrow is going to be cast into the fire? How much more are you to me? Do you not trust me that I'm going to take care of you? What about how tall you are? Can you worry and make yourself a little bit taller? I'd like to be an NBA player and be about 6'8", 6'11", but you know, That's, I cannot worry and grow my stature. God says, food and clothing is little things. I'm the one that even puts in your word and your DNA how tall you're going to be. So I can do all of these things. So take a look. Place your trust in me. And, but the thing is, is that Solomon is referred to in both of these. One, in all of his glory, he wasn't arrayed like that. That's his riches. Solomon was the richest man that there was. Said the queen came from all the ends of the earth to hear his wisdom. He was the wisest man. So let me ask you something. 
and he's also king. He has authority. So, you take a man who is the richest person who ever lived. He is the wisest person that ever lived. God gave him knowledge above all. And he has kingdom authority to command people to do what he wants and to be able to do anything that he wants. Would you think that such a man, if he set his mind for a search for happiness, could be the one that could find it? I mean, he's got all the resources and assets, doesn't he? He's got power, authority, he's got complete knowledge, and he's got all the riches of the world. So if anyone should be qualified to find happiness, it should be him. But Jesus says, check your heart. Because this is what he says at the close of that verse. He says, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of these things will be added unto you. So if you, I'm going to give you a hint about the end, okay? I'm going to give you a clue. If you search for happiness, you're not going to find it. But if you search for God, God will provide the happiness for you. That's basically what this is going to be all about and what Solomon's experiment is going to reveal to him. Without, take note, without God, you don't have the capacity to enjoy things. I want you to look at all of the people that's had money fame, fortune, all of those people that have been movie stars and have been singers and rock stars. They had everything that they thought they wanted to make them happy and they couldn't enjoy it. Their lives fall apart because they don't have God in their life. God says, without me, you don't have the capacity to enjoy it and that's why you'll keep searching for happiness. But if you put me first, I will provide the capacity and the means for you to enjoy the things that you want in life. So now let's meet this guy called Solomon then, because I don't know about you, but I want to know. I want to see what his experiment was all about and how that can work out for me, okay? So 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. If you want to go to 1 Kings, we're going to go there. And then we're going to go to Ecclesiastes, which is right up there in the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. So those are the two that we're going to go with. And our Berean challenge for this, this week is to read Ecclesiastes. There's 12 chapters, but several of them are small, okay? But in 1 Kings 3, it says this, that Solomon loved the Lord at this time and was walking in his ways and statutes as his father did. And he went to Gibeon and went and offered up an offering there to God. And the Lord, in verse 5, appears unto Solomon and says, since he was walking in his ways and he loved him and he gave the offering, he said, what? What will you ask of me? Solomon said, what I ask is this. I ask for wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and discernment to be able to judge and to rule over your people. Because I'm but a young man, and I hardly know how to come in and go out myself and to manage my life, let alone to manage your kingdom that you have given to me. So I pray and ask for wisdom and knowledge and discernment. And you know what? That pleased the Lord. And the Lord said, because you ask for wisdom and knowledge for my kingdom and how to rule over it, 
I am going to give you a measure of wisdom and knowledge that's far above what anyone else has ever had. And not only that, because you didn't ask for such things for yourself, like a long life, prosperity, the death of your enemies so that you don't have any struggles and problems, because you didn't ask for those things... Everything that involves that, riches, happiness, glory, honor, I'm going to go ahead and give you those too. Does that not point back to what Jesus said when he was introducing Solomon to us about the lilies of the field and stuff and they toil not and Solomon in all of his glory? And he said, if you will seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness that those things will be added, that points right back to this verse. He sought the kingdom of God, and how to righteously judge first. And the Lord says, because you seek for that, I'm going to give you the rest of your heart's desire. So let that be lesson number one. That when I search and seek truly for His kingdom and what He wants me to do, He's got a promise that I'm going to go ahead and give you some of these other things as well. So then, He says this, Behold, I have done this according to your words, and I have given you above anyone else. No one else will ever be like you are. And and then he says, I have given you everything that no king will ever be like you in all of their days. So now we have a man who not only inherited all of David, his father's, King David's wealth and power, God has given him an extra dose. He's giving him wisdom to go along. And this man's got everything, Jack. I mean, he's got it. Look at 1 Kings chapter 10. You think, well, what if he blew through his money real quick? What if he got, got a load of it and he blew it and then, then what happens to him? No, when you're seeking first the kingdom and his glory, God's going to provide for you day by day, week by week, year for year. Look at 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 14. It says that the weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly in tributes from, and taxes from the other nations was 666. Now, I wouldn't have wanted that. I'd said, hey, give me either one less or one more talent. I don't want 666, okay? But he got 666 talents of gold every year from all of those kings. And mind you, that's gold, That's not silver, that's not the jewels, that's not the food, the trees, the lumber, the animals. This is just gold in a tax and tribute that these people paid him because the Lord had put him in place and was blessing him. And I know talents don't mean much to you and I. So I asked Google again, how much in biblical times does a talent weigh or mean? And it said that in biblical times that a talent was equal to 75 pounds. Now we're starting to talk. Holy cows! You take 75 pounds per talent, and I multiplied that by 666, and I got 49,750. So we're talking almost 50,000 pounds of gold. A year came in as a tribute. And I said, well, wait a minute. Gold is valued by the ounce. It's so valuable, it's by the ounce, not by the pound. So how, how many ounces is in almost 50,000 pounds of gold? So I took 16 times that 
And you know I got almost 800,000. It was 799,250, I think, or something like that. So now the spot price of gold, I said, what's the price of gold today per ounce? $1,267 per ounce. So anyway, by the time I did the math, and that's why we go to school so we can do the math. We did the math and it come out to 1 billion, 22 million and some change per year was his income just in gold. Can you, can you buy some happiness with that, you think? How many people said, man, I wish I was in Solomon's shoes. I'm king. <laughs> I'm getting, I've got all of this that I inherited. I'm getting a billion dollars every year in tribute, let alone silver and everything else. Man, this guy was riding high on the hog, wasn't he? And I'm wise. I ought to be able to know how to use this, so let's keep going with this thing. That's what all he was getting now. And so now we turn to his book that's called Ecclesiastes. If you'd turn there with me in chapter 1. Because now we're going to see that this man who is that rich and that smart and is king and can do what he wants, he's going to tell us that he's going to do something. You know what he wants to do? He wants to find happiness. Just like you and I. So God said, okay, I'm going to use you as my example of happiness. And when it's all over, I'm going to let you write your autobiography of happiness. And how that search turned out for you. How did it work out for you, Solomon? Well, it begins like this. This is him in hindsight now telling us about the road to happiness. And he says this. The words of the preacher, or the man with the message for the people... I'm the preacher, the son of David, and I'm king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanities. And if you're like me, I go, what? (laughs) Are you kidding me? The word vanity, in case you don't know, means emptiness. It means without worth. It means a nothingness. So he says... In my search for happiness, I'm going to give you the answer up front. Everything is empty. Everything is vanity. There was no worth to it. He says, I got a message for everyone. He goes on down. He says, I set my heart's desire for happiness. Verse 11. He says, I started thinking some things. In the generations that come, what you did, who you were, is not going to be remembered by those who come after you. And I started to put a picture of the business card of my great-grandpa, who was a preacher, and it says, G.B. Wright, for Grover Bruce Wright, my great-grandpa. And it says he was from Evansville, and he preached there on the corner of a, in a church, and his phone number was 3 dash, and then the four numbers. I mean, we're talking before 7653425 or 537. We're talking when it was 3 6875. <laughs> I've got his business card and I know he existed, but you know what? I never got to meet my great grandpa. Somehow I was fortunate enough to get his Bible. I guess that was a calling. And his card but I don't know anything else about him, and there's no one left to explain that to me. So here's another important part of your life, folks. Generations come. 
generations go. And by the time the fourth generations come, they're not going to remember who you are and what you were. Only about your reputation if you leave a good one for them to walk in, okay? And he says, this is something that I began to understand as I was going through my search for happiness. Verse 13, I set my heart to seek, to search out wisdom and everything that is fun that is done under the sun. God has given me this hand to do. And he's providing me with the assets and the ability to do it. So he says, I'm in a search for happiness. I'm setting my heart to find it. And here is my story. I set my heart to know wisdom. Verse 17. I set my heart. I want wisdom. I want madness and folly of this world. And I have perceived that chasing happiness is like trying to grasp the wind. Have you ever, we're going to have high winds today, it said on my phone. You go out there and try to grab the wind and see if you can get a hold of it. The other thing that means is like when you grab something because you want to, um, you want to satisfy yourself with it, like with a meal. So try to grab some wind and see if it's going to satisfy you when you're starving. He says, this is what I am finding out about all of my search for happiness. It's like trying to grab the wind. It cannot be done. It's impossible. All you end up doing in verse 18 is finding grief and sorrow in your life. And then it says this. He moves on to chapter 2. And he flips the page. I set my heart then to desire mirth. Because he was getting depressed with this stuff. Man, vanity of vanities. And he was all depressed. And so he said, I need something to pick me up. I need something to make me happy. I need some mirth in my life. You know, some, some jolly and some folly going on. So he says, I'm going to set my heart now to enjoy the pleasures of this life. You know what he found out? That was good for the fleeting moment. What he says is this, I hung around people, I brought in the, the, the late night comedians, I brought in those people that could joke around and make me happy and laugh, but when they left and I went to my room to go to bed, I ended up with me again. Those things last for the moment that I'm in them, but I come back to me and I find that there's still emptiness and void inside of my heart. It hasn't satisfied anything yet. So then he says, that made me vanity. I'm going to now try to sublimate my laughter and my mirth that has turned now into depression because that has not helped. So now what I'm going to do is sublimate, it says, with wine. I'm going to find something, whether some kind of medication or some kind of drink, to, to make me feel better. Take away my pain, make me happy and jolly. But he says, I'm going to do it in wisdom. So I'm going to do it in a wise way, but I still want the effect that it makes a joy in my life. And you can have just enough wine to make your heart jolly. But then, guess what? That effect's gone. Just like the laughter leaves, that effect's gone And he was back to himself and saying, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Then he said this, okay, 
I'm going to take these resources that I have, all of these billions that's coming in every year, and I'm going to put them to work. I'm going to start working, and that's what a lot of you graduates are going to be doing. You're, you're going to move on to college, or you graduate from college, and you say, I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to get a job so that I can, I can put those assets to work. So he said, I planted fruit trees. I planted orchards. I even irrigated and built ponds and lakes that I could sit around the lake, I could fish, I could water the orchards with it. That didn't work. He said, I've went around, I've tried the silver and gold and counting my money like Mr. Scrooge. I've done everything. And I'm still not finding happiness with that. He says, you know what goes along good with that glass of wine is music. So you know what he did? He put out a search over the entire world for the best musicians and singers to come. And you, you like to go to concerts and hear these guys. Like I used to go and um, my first concert about 1977 was Kiss. I went to see Kiss and then my uh, mom said, I guess I'll let you go to that but you're not going to see Alice Cooper. Because she had heard about him, you know. Guess what my second concert was? I was there with you guys, okay? Don't look at me like... I was there. Alice Cooper was my second one, okay? Yeah. But instead of us going to concerts, he says, I'm bringing the concert to me. And so he had built a hall for music. And he had everyone there. And he could go to a concert and get sublimated and then, you know what? When he woke up the next morning, he was back to just me. <laughs> and that didn't work either. And then he says this in, in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Listen to this closely. Whatever my eyes desired, I did. And I did not keep anything from them. Whatever it was, I did it. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure that there was. And I was rejoicing in my labor, but then that was all that I got from my labor and my reward. And I looked upon all the works of my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping at the wind. There is no profit under the sun. He said, I came up empty. I came up void in all of that. With everything that I built, once it was done, and the thrill of building it and then seeing it, then I was back to empty again. And then, and then he realized something. And I hope this sets on all of you too. Because I have seen it over and over again. He said this, I've, I've built, I've did, I've set my heart, I've got it all. But then when that didn't fulfill him, he got to looking at the other people in his kingdom and he said this, I'm the wisest and richest man in the world and I'm beginning to realize that just like my father David, I'm going to pass away one day. And you know what? It doesn't matter whether it's me, the richest, wisest man in the world, or a fool who hardly has a dose of bread. We're all going to die the same way. And there's no way that I'm going to take any of this with me when I go into the next life. 
And he said, that made me begin to hate life. And to hate all of these things that I worked for because now I've found out that they have given me nothing. And let me tell you, because I promised you that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, these things will be added. Solomon had fallen off the bandwagon. After his prayer and he received and God was heaping these blessings to him, he allowed those things to lead him away from God. He married Pharaoh of Egypt's daughter. She brought in the idols and the things that became to throw the kingdom away from God. And he fell off the wagon too. And when he fell off the wagon, the things that he thought was going to make him happy in that falling off the wagon were not making him happy. And he's going to come back to God here in a minute. But right now, all of those things are not making him happy. And then he says this. He's beginning to start back a little bit right here in verse 24. Underline this if you've got your Bible. There is nothing better for man than that he should eat and drink and that your soul enjoy itself in every day of your life with your family. This I began to see is from the hand of God. So God's design of family and living one day at a time and not looking for the bigger barns and the bigger things, that's when you begin to find some happiness, when you enjoy life with who God has put into your life. And then he says this, I'm finding that in the end, everything I'm going to leave is empty, it's vanity. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 11, God has put eternity in our hearts. And I'm beginning to see that what's really important is not what's in this life, but it's in what's in the next life to come. And he says this again, second time in just a couple short verses, verse 13 and 12, if you want to underline it again. I know, now this is the word of inspiration from the man who had everything. I know now that there is nothing better for all of us than this. To rejoice, to be happy in who you are right now and where you are today and the windshield that lies before you and not the rear view that lies behind you. And to do good, to love God, to follow Him. And happiness is found in this, that every man should eat, drink, and enjoy the goodness of your labor with your family. To enjoy day by day your life. We got 10 more chapters that we could run through right now, but we're going to find the same thing in all. As he falls off the bandwagon, it's vanity. But let me tell you, in the end, he came to his senses. In this frantic search for happiness, he left us with some wise words beginning in chapter 11 and verse 9. And chapter 11, verse 9 and 10, the last two verses should really be included in chapter 12 because this is really the whole summary of the matter. In chapter 11, it's to the youngsters. It's to the ones who are, let's, let's say, the under 30 crowd. This was his, his, uh, his wisdom and his advice here. Now listen carefully, folks that are going out on this life's journey. He says this, I'm going to reveal you, to you a secret of happiness. All that is coming your way, in verse 9, is vanity. 
If you decide to set your heart on the things of this world, to rejoice in this life, in your youth, and your desire is to let your heart be cheerful, and you make this decision of this life to walk in these ways, he says, know this, know this. God, one day, is going to bring all of us into judgment. Therefore, he says, remove all this sorrow and this searching for happiness from your heart and put away the evil things from your flesh, the things of your childhood and youth, because they are vanity and they lead to unhappiness. Put those away and instead, he closes it out to you, his advice. Remember now. Now, today, remember your Creator in the days of your youth before difficult days come. Remember now. And then he moves on to all of us and he says this. And you know what? When I was your guys' age, I wish somebody had explained all of this to me. It would have saved me a lot of grief and toil in life. But then he says this. He says to the rest of us, he says, behold... You're going to find in life that the keepers of the house, that's your, that's your hands and feet. That's how you motivate and how you work and how you do. He says the keepers of the house are going to become weak, feeble. They'll begin to tremble and shake. Those that were a strong man and could put a 50-pound feed bag. I remember my grandpa one day, he had came home from a funeral. And he said one of his best friends, it was a farmer here in Perrigan, he said, man, he was so stout and strong when I knew him. In his younger days, he could take a 50-pound bag of feed in each hand and walk like it was nothing and just load it up on the truck. And when I saw him today, he probably couldn't lift lifted 10 pounds. The keepers of the house is going to grow old. And then he says the lights are going to grow dim. Your eyes begin to go. The grinders, that's your teeth. Your grinders will decay. They'll be few because they have fallen out. Everything about the strong man will be bent over in weakness and falling out. And you'll be afraid to even fall from heights that you'll break a bone. And then he says this. All your desire in life is going to fade. And I've seen so many times, folks in later in life, even my mom, the things that were important and you'd worked for all of a sudden was like, go ahead, I want you to have, they don't mean anything to me anymore. Everything you thought was important, the desires fade. So listen while you can to seek God first and put Him first in your life. Verse 6, chapter 12, he's closing out. Remember your Creator before the silver cord of your life is cut. Before the golden bowl is broke. Because, O oh man, you are made of dust. And back to the earth you are going to go. So remember Him now before it is too late. Because everything is vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. This is the words it says, if you look on there and read, he says, these are the words that I am leaving to you like goads. And what that means, that's G-O-A-D-S. And in those days, your cultural Bibles will help you out there with this. In those days, what they had 
to make the oxen and the cattle and the horses move was a sharp pointy stick. It was called a goad. And when they would stop plowing, you would pop them in the hind end with that sharp stick to get them moving in the right direction again. Solomon is saying that everything that you thought was important in this life is going to fall apart. You're not going to love it anymore. So remember now God and let Him begin in this life to make you happy because you put Him first in His kingdom. He'll give you the ability to enjoy it. Don't leave God out and think I can search for happiness. And He said, I'm leaving for you these words as that sharp pointy stick to pop you in the hind end so that you will get marching in the right way. That's what he's trying to tell us in his search for happiness that he had. And he suffered through all of that, he says, because God wanted me to put this down for you and let you know that this is true and to poke you to be going in the right way. So now, as our worship team comes on up and we close out, I hope and I pray that for all of us, that, that's been a sharp stick in the hind end. <laughs> okay? Because that's exactly what he said I wrote this for. By the inspiration of God. To, to get you to understand and to realize all of this is truth. And if this has touched your heart today. And you have not been a Christian. Hey Andy, go up and get our children. Andy, go up. And, okay, okay, thank you. Um. If this has prodded your heart and poked you in a tail and you say, you know what? It's time that I made that proper decision that I, I no longer want to be searching for happiness and not being able to enjoy it. I want to be seeking first God and allow Him to give me the capacity to enjoy all of these things that I'm searching for. I hope that that has been made clear from the Word of God and Solomon's experiment for you. And if you, you are, I want you to know that, that God, Jesus Christ, came down to this earth. He went to the cross and He died so that you can have that opportunity. He was buried in the tomb for three days. And then He arose again by the power of God to a newness of life. And now He's sitting on the right hand waiting for the time that he's going to come back and gather his children back to his own. And he left us with this message, if you want to know how to follow him. First of all, he said in John chapter 3, around verse 15, he said this, He who believes in me should not perish but have everlasting life. Doing this is called born again, he was telling Nicodemus. It's a new birth, he said. You will be born again by the water and of the Spirit. And then he says this as a finality to that chapter. He said in verse 36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. But he who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God will abide upon them. And I pray that for no one. No one. And then it says this, Jesus, as he got ready to to go to that right hand, he says, I'm coming again. And as those who believe in me, so that they do not have the wrath of God upon them, tell them to follow my example through faith, then of that my death, burial, and resurrection. 
And he says, so go and make disciples for me, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what that is, that's a recreation of the gospel. You are affirming in faith the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that it's true. Because you are now, like Jesus came down and left heaven and came to here, you are getting ready to go down into the water and leave your old man and your old person behind. And you're going to be buried with him in baptism, it says. Then you're going to be raised up to the glory of the Father as a new creation like he was. And then you are now waiting for that time when he comes back to gather his own to him. And he promised that he will. And families are going to make that commitment today. And I hope you make the commitment with them. Because all of us want a family reunion up there that day with our families, don't we? He said in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you might be also. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if that were not true, I would have told you so. But I am going to prepare that place so that where I am, there you can be with me. And that means that there's rooms in the mansion that every one of those who accepts Jesus Christ, He is building a room in the house of the family of God for a family reunion at that time. And I'm going to pray... That everyone here today who has not made that commitment, don't seek for happiness in the wrong way. You'll, you'll find void and empty. Seek Him first. Follow this example. And He made a promise. I'll start supplying all of those things that you really desire to you. Please do it today. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word for the example of the Solomon experiment, so that we can truly see that no matter how rich you are, no matter how smart you are, no matter if you're a king or a fool, it all comes down to the same thing. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God? And will you follow His example in the Gospel message? I pray that every heart today that has not made that commitment, will make that commitment. May your word be mighty and powerful. May it be alive and sharper than a two-edged sword and ripped down between the joints and the, and the spirit, the bones and the marrow, and expose that heart, Father, to your word. May it be clear to them. May your spirit help them understand the importance of this decision. And I pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
I couldn't be more proud right now. And just to know that God definitely has a hand in things. And you guys uh, that have been coming to church here for a while know what, what my granddaughter has always been through. And today that <laughs> I'm not going to make it through that. Today that she's decided to give herself to Christ. This day, three years ago, was her first round of chemotherapy on this date. So God works in your life, and he answers prayers. And our God is an awesome God. So let's sing that. going to call out some songs here while everybody's getting changed. So how about uh how about some more love and more power? <laughs> 